and welcome to Relinquish Podcast. My name is Travis. I'm Christina. Hey, Christina. Hey. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm, I'm well. Look, it's, it's good to see you. It is good to see you, too. Since the last time we sat down and had one of these podcast episodes, I know you guys have been patiently waiting for this next episode, so thank you for your patience. Um, life has been busy, but great. I love this weather. Fall is my favorite season. It's my favorite season. There's pumpkin spice, cool evenings. Mm. What more could you ask for? Leaves crunching under your feet. Oh, that satisfying crunch. Love oh, that. Yeah. Oh, love it. And the it gets darker earlier. Not that I'm like a fan of the dark. I just I don't know something about the light. At at at, at, at uh, I don't know when it gets darker. There's <laughs> something about it. Anyway, if this is your first time here, well. Let me back up. Let me just say, for one, thank you guys so much for listening to the last episode. It was really hard for us to do, but it was awesome. We've had a lot of good positive feedback, a lot of good, um, uh, collect, uh, what's the word? Helpful criticism? Constructive. Constructive criticisms. Not criticism, just constructive, constructive feedback. feedback. Feedback, yeah. So thank you, um, taking all that into consideration. And um, thank you for some people for getting some of our little banters. So anyway, you may be wondering, who are we? What are we, why are we talking? Well, we're a husband and wife team with a desire to approach controversial topics with critical thinking and respect. So our goal is to present each opposing viewpoint of a topic with a level of respect that helps us all understand those viewpoints a little better. Yeah. And each topic we cover on this podcast is rooted in beliefs and values. And we think when we get to the core of those, we can better relate to the opposing view, thereby better understanding the person behind the belief. It's important to humanize one another in our disagreements rather than dehumanize. It's so easy for us to get caught up in confirmation bias when we turn on the TV or listen to the news. Our goal is to weed out all the chaff and focus on the facts and the beliefs of the controversy. Yeah, and we do that on this show by presenting each side with as much equality and respect and veracity as we can. Then, as a husband and wife, together we discuss what our views and beliefs on that topic are. And we may not agree on a particular topic. We truly want all of us to get better at approaching these hot button issues with a desire to understand the opposition rather than devalue them with character attacks. We invite you to join us as we delve into these issues. Let's open our minds and our hearts to one another and be quick to listen. And full disclosure here, we are not experts on these topics. We are just like you. We see the world around us and we filter it through our worldview. Some of the issues we will cover will be ones that I am passionate about, like the paranormal. Others will be ones that we are both highly interested in. Some, not so much. Either way, we want you to join us in the discussion and invite others to do so as well. Hopefully we can all cultivate a better way of communicating our disagreement. We will have different opinions in some of you and in some topics, a lot of you, but that's okay. We are each unique and beautiful in that uniqueness. How we see things is part of that. Okay, let's get started on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Denmark. Wait, what? Yeah. Denmark? Yeah, Denmark. The country? Yeah. That's right. The entire country of Denmark. Nestled in the southern part of Scandinavia, just north of Germany, 
Denmark is a mystical place where dreams come true. Enjoy a culture of non-violent problem solvers, except for those Vikings. It's also where one of my favorite musical artists, Agnes Obel, is from. So book your flights today to Denmark, full of water and things to do. Visit today. Thank you, Denmark. If you would like to sponsor an episode of this show, contact us at relinquishpodcast at gmail.com or go to our website, www.relinquishpodcast.com. If a million of you out there gave us just $1, we'd have a lot and could do this show full time. So spread the word, help it go viral. A little micro giving can have a macro impact. Thank you. All right, bringing it back around. Yeah. Today's show is about gun rights and gun control, which is an enormous topic. We could spend hours worth of episodes going into each facet of it. And of course, it's full of emotion due to the death and destruction caused by firearms, as well as the horrific results of not having a firearm if you need it to defend yourself against a violent criminal or an authoritarian government. So we think it's important to start the show with some ground rules of understanding. And there's three. First, we know this is a sensitive topic. Whether you are pro-gun rights or pro-gun control, please put down your weapons of confirmation bias and be open to listen to each side. Second, death from a firearm is a tragedy, even if it's in self-defense. No reasonable person would disagree with that. Both sides of this issue believe with sincerity that mass shootings, especially the ones where kids are the victims, are horrible and need to be prevented. It's important for you to know this going into the discussion. When you're listening to an opposing view and you start to feel triggered and angry, remember, each side here believes these are tragedies. And third, there are no easy solutions to this dilemma. Removing guns will not stop tragedies from happening. Not having any restrictions or safety measures in place will not help either. This issue is vast in its complexity because human rights and lives are involved. Please marinate on this fact going into the show. Too often, we are told the solution is simple, and it's just not. No, it's not. I think part of the real solution begins with that realization. Now, we are ready to get into the controversial topic of gun rights and gun control. Before we present the beliefs and values for each side of this issue, we should start with asking some questions to get us thinking deeper about this controversy. There are many questions we could ask, and here are just a few to get us started. Should we limit the number of guns an American citizen can own? Should citizens have access to military-style weapons, and should there be limitations of such? And should we be able to own guns at all since they are designed to kill? Should we limit the amount of rounds a gun can fire? Should we train and arm teachers to prevent or stop mass school shootings? Should we allow or demand the federal government to enact more restrictions on firearms and ownership? Do we have the right to defend and protect ourselves from invaders or a tyrannical government? If so, by what means? And should there be limits? If so, what are those limits? Are we willing to give up our rights to trust the government to protect us? Have gun control measures worked before, or do they continue to work? What other factors are involved? What role does pop culture play? Do movies, TV, and music promote too much violence and gun use? 
Do side effects of psychiatric drugs play a role? Why has our suicide rate drastically increased, especially in younger people, including kids and teenagers? And bottom line question, why are people choosing to kill one another or themselves? Next, since owning firearms is a right secured to us in the Second Amendment to the Constitution, we should see what it says. Then I think it's important for us to go over what current federal law says about purchasing firearms. Christina, what does the Second Amendment say? It says, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, end quote. So what are the current federal laws pertaining to purchasing firearms in the United States? This is not individual state laws, but the federal law. So here's a summary of the federal law taken from Giffords.org, and it says, Licensed firearms dealers are required to maintain records of the acquisition and sale of firearms for at least 20 years. The dealer must record, quote, in bound form, end quote, the purchase or other acquisition of a firearm no later than the close of the next business day following the purchase or acquisition. The dealer must similarly record the sale or other disposition of a firearm not later than seven days following the date of such transaction and retain Form 4473, the firearms transaction record. When a firearms business is discontinued, these records are delivered to the successor, or if none exists, to the attorney general. A federally licensed firearms dealer must provide information from its records no later than 24 hours after receipt of a request by ATF for use in a criminal investigation. However, federal law explicitly prohibits federal law enforcement agencies from, one, using dealers' records of sales to establish a centralized system for the registration of firearms, firearm owners, or firearm transactions, or two, requiring dealers' records of sales to be recorded in or transferred to a centralized facility. As a result, with very limited exceptions, records of firearm sales are not maintained at the federal level. So essentially, let's hone in on something here. Licensed firearm dealers are required by federal law to maintain sales records for at least 20 years. In contrast, the FBI is required to destroy approved background checks for firearms after 24 hours. The FBI maintains indefinitely the records of prospective purchasers whose applications are denied. So does that, that means that whenever someone is going to purchase a gun, there's an FBI background check. Right. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, well, and we're going to move on to some interesting stats. And then after that, we'll get into the beliefs and values of each side of this issue. So here are some interesting stats that I came across that I think are very important when talking about this. For the last 20 years, that's from the years 1999 to 2018, are going to be a majority of these. Um, in the last 20 years, the average... Gun-related deaths total per year is 32,603. That's a lot. That's a lot. A lot of people. Um, in that same time frame, there have been an average. So of, of that, 13,359 are non-suicide gun-related deaths. 
On the flip side of that, 19,243 are related to suicide. That's a lot. Wow. So the majority of gun-related deaths are suicides. Yeah. I did Uh, not realize that. Yeah. And in that 20 years, the rate of gun deaths have increased by 17%. Although um, the violent crime rate has decreased by 29%. Okay, so I'm going to do some daily stats. And these are taken from an average of the last five years. So every day, on average, 313 people are shot. 103 of those people die. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Every day on average, 21 children are shot. That's ages 1 to 17. And four of those are fatalities. That's too many. Yeah. Every day on average, eight children and teens are shot by family fire. And family fire is a shooting involving an improperly stored firearm found in the home, resulting in an injury or death. Eight every single day. Every single day. All right, so I think another important um, bit in this conversation is to talk about school shootings, since that's often what we kind of hear in the, in the news. And so what I did is I gathered a lot of data about school shootings over the last 52 years, from 1966 to 2018. And I narrowed my focus on shootings that were, that involved four or more fatalities, and that includes the perpetrator. So in the last 52 years, with those parameters, there are, there have been 23 mass shootings at schools, and that includes universities and trade schools. And out of those 23, there were 222 total deaths. And that includes, again, the perpetrator. 61% of those were done by current or former students. 30% were done by people under 20. 56% of those shootings have occurred since the year 2000. That seems a little significant. Yeah. 56% of the shootings of the last 52 years have happened since 2000. Yeah. Hmm. Um, So this data would suggest that there is a rise in mass school shootings over the the last 52 years. And um, an interesting fact along with this, with, with those numbers is that many of the mass shooters, especially in recent history that we know of, have been or were on recently an antidepressant or antipsychotic. For example, Eric Harris of the Columbine shooting was on Luvox. Prozac is also well known for producing extremely violent behavior in some people, which some people have gone on a shooting spree Mm. after being on Prozac. So I think that's an interesting to kind of thing to keep in mind. Um, another interesting fact is the suicide rate in the U.S. has increased 35% in the last 20 years. And the rate of males was 3.7 times higher than that of females. Wow. Yeah. 
the rate of suicide of teenagers between 13 and 18 has increased 56% in the last 20 years. Hmm. A couple of other interesting facts just to put some things into perspective when we're talking about annual figures of deaths. There's an estimate of 128,000 people die each year from an adverse reaction to an FDA-approved drug. And that's versus 32,000 from gun deaths. Right. And the European Commission uh, did a report where they estimated that around 200,000 people in Europe die each year from an adverse reaction to a drug. A prescription drug? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then lastly, again, for comparison purposes, um, in 2018, there were 36,560 deaths uh, from automobile accidents. Hmm. That's heavy stuff. Those are some heavy stats. Yeah. I think we just need to breathe for a moment with all of that. Um, Because I think that's really, both sides are feeling that. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of information for us to consider as we move into this discussion. So now let's go ahead and get into presenting both sides of this topic. And I think you're going to go ahead and start. Yeah, I'm going to take the beliefs and values for those who favor gun control um, so starting with some of the, the main beliefs of this, this side, guns are the root cause of gun deaths and therefore should either be eliminated or drastically reduced. There's the belief that easy access to guns is why there is so much gun violence in this country. Also, that there should be a centralized database storing every gun sale with detailed records and each firearm should be registered in this database. This includes private sales to eliminate the, quote, gun show loophole. Not having a central place for firearm sales makes tracing guns to crimes very arduous. Military-style guns have no place in the hands of citizens. These include assault rifles. They believe that mass shootings of schools or events have increased and are the result of easy access to high-power guns and high-capacity magazines. Also, more gun restrictions would reduce gun deaths and gun crime. They don't believe in the likelihood of U.S. government tyranny or that the threat of this tyranny warrants the right to own weapons that are not for sporting, hunting, or self-defense purposes. There's the belief that the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution does not guarantee the right of a citizen to own a firearm, but only for the right of a group of citizens to form a militia and be armed. There should always be laws on how guns should be kept and stored in a household to help prevent accidental shootings at home. These are called family fire, as we mentioned before. They believe there needs to be strict measures or laws in place preventing violent or potentially violent people from getting guns, such as having restrictions for people with mental health issues. And finally, the belief that the NRA is a corrupt organization that bullies legislators through lobbying efforts, which prevents proper gun control measures from becoming law. So what are the values that undergird these beliefs? For the gun control position, they value life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They value safety. They value rules and regulations. And they also value government intervention and oversight. That's good. Thanks for doing that. Sure. 
those were interesting. Okay, so I'm going to present the gun rights side of this. We'll start with their beliefs. They believe in the right to protect one's property, family, and, and liberty. And those rights are protected by the U.S. Constitution and secured in the Bill of Rights. They believe the Second Amendment in the Bill of Rights protects our right to own firearms. They believe the Second Amendment was included in the U.S. Constitution to secure the rights of its citizens to hold the government accountable and protect themselves from a tyrannical or corrupt government. They believe that citizens should have access to all types of firearms. However, they also do believe that certain restrictions to firearms are acceptable for certain conditions. They are wary of more gun restrictions or registration requirements, as such measures can lead the government to remove a citizen's firearms, as they believe history has shown that in other nations. And they believe that such measures are slippery slopes and should be considered with, very, with great caution and forethought. They believe in firearm safety, and such safety should be taught to all citizens, or at least greatly expanded. This type of education and training will reduce firearm-related accidents. They believe gun violence is a tragedy. And while the NRA is not a perfect organization, they believe that it works towards protecting the citizens' rights to firearms. And lastly, they believe guns are tools and weapons and are not the problem in gun violence. They believe people are the root issue. So what are the values that I see uh, for this side of the topic? They value life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They value safety. They value autonomy from the government. They value freedom. And they value the U.S. Constitution and the form of government, government outlined in it. And that's it. <laughs> that's what I got. <laughs> All right. There it is. We, we just kind of gave you both positions in a nutshell. And I think both sides here have a lot of validity in what they're saying. Absolutely. And their beliefs. I mean, as I'm... As I was listening to you read through the gun control and as I'm reading through the gun rights, I'm seeing a lot of stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I can understand that. I can get behind that. So what was really eye-opening for me is just getting into the stats. I spent most of my time, I spent most of my, in doing the research for this episode, I spent... And, as, and if y'all don't know, I do all the research for these episodes and I do all the writing. Um, and then I just throw my wife in blind so she can <laughs> just be thrusted into it. In doing this, this particular episode, it was really hard to find non-biased information. It was extremely difficult to find um, some kind of information that wasn't skewed or biased in some way. So I had to filter a lot of stuff out. But I think what stood out to me, and I have my own biases, and that's what it was really hard for me too. What stood out to me was the stats. Yeah. Going through those stats was just, especially the daily. There was a website, uh, a pro-gun uh, control website, that had a really good 
um, like, I don't know, PDFs that you could print out that just had stats on it. Mm-hmm. And I thought looking at it like that, just on a one pager. Yeah. Eye opening. It is pretty eye opening. I, I had no idea. I mean, that, that the numbers were that big and really that the thing that stands out to me are the suicides. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you know, suicides are happening, but I don't know. It just seems like a really big number. It's a really big, and it's going up. And seeing not just the overall suicide rate go up, but the rate of the younger mm-hmm. uh, generation going up was um, eye-opening and I think needs to be looked at. I mean, it's easy to see just looking at those numbers why there's a fear of guns in general mm-hmm. and why it's... it's um, I mean, myself, I, I feel, I mean, without even having seen those stats, I have a fear of guns, mainly just from a, not having a familiarity. Mm. And, um, you know, I mean, the thought in my head is that if I was going to protect myself with a firearm, because I haven't, I don't have a familiarity and I haven't like the, there was a belief on the side of the gun rights that firearm safety needs to be more broadly taught, I think is how it was worded. Mm-hmm. And yes, because for me, my thought is if I have a gun and I'm trying to protect myself, the bad guy is just going to take it from me and shoot me with it. Like, cause I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and so I don't know, that's just one thing that I think of. And I um, have a background in cultural anthropology. And so I just tend to look at behaviors of cultures over time and things like that. And at least in my mind, 150 years ago, the average citizen of our country had a gun and was very familiar with it. Mm -hmm. And it's just not that way today. I mean, I don't, although people don't really talk about it, but I don't know if I really know that many people who have a familiarity with firearms, you know? Well, I do. I think that's interesting that you have that experience because I had that experience growing up, up until maybe 10 years ago. And I had the opposite experience <laughs> growing up because I grew up in the country where everyone right. had guns, but yeah, they were for... Yeah, I grew up for, in the city. City boy. Yeah, but guns were for, like, purely for hunting. Like, that's the only thing guns were for when I was sure. growing up, and at least in my mind as a right. kid. And it was no big deal. Yeah, it was no big deal. People had gun racks in the back of their truck. Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah. So, yeah, I grew up in the city with parents that were um, very... I don't know if fearful is the right word, but adamant about not having any access to guns in the house. So I grew up kind of with a a big fear around guns. Mm. Uh, I think a healthy one and, and, and so forth. But we were taught at a very young age about accidental shootings at houses from kids investigating their parents' guns. Yeah. And I think that's important. That's an important conversation to have. With your kids. I do too. I find it interesting that I never heard that conversation until I was an adult. Oh, really? Never. Oh, man, we were, it was drilled into us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's interesting because I know, now I know a ton of people with guns and and my views on gun ownership has changed. Mm -hmm. Now I'm, you know, I'm all for it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and I, I understand the need for uh, not just protecting my home, because I have a wife and kids, but also my liberty and freedom in the country against a tyrannical government. 
that yeah, I totally get not wanting to give up that right. Like, I think it's important for us to have that right because there are other countries in the world who don't have that right. Right. And, and just looking at this topic too and doing research and there are um, dozens of examples in just the 20th century alone about governments taking over and and becoming authoritarian over its citizens and performing genocides against its own people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they do in order to do that is they remove their ability to defend themselves. And I, I think on the gun rights side, that is a, a real probability in their mind mm. because it's, it happens in almost every government over time where it tries to take over you know, in our rooted in our kind of foundation as a country, we left a monarchy and a a system that was oppressive, and we never wanted to go back to that. So, with that being said, like my views definitely being, I want rights. I want our rights to be able to have have guns, and I'm talking all kinds of guns, bazookas you know, military style guns. However, because we're a country now that is, has 330 plus million people in it, we do. And because we have evolved as a culture, wouldn't you think like our nation? We've changed. We have changed. Yeah. We've evolved. We have evolved into something different than what we really were. We, we need some kind of restrictions and measures. We do. To help prevent, um, I don't know, um, an abuse of that right. And we need more education and mm-hmm. familiarity because in general, people are scared of what they're not familiar with. Right. Yeah, yeah. That brings me back to the safety aspect because you, you mentioned that. I think in school... I think it should be just, I think, well, for one, finance needs to be a mandatory class, right? That's off topic. It is off topic. But it's <laughs> personal finance. Sure. Starting in high school. Sure. Um, but, you know, to piggyback on that, personal safety needs to be taught. And part of that should be firearm safety. Yeah, it's interesting that we spend um, resources on, like, internet safety and mm. yet before there was internet there was human interaction <laughs> and what about that safety you know right. like you said the yeah violent crime rate has decreased significantly but gun deaths are increasing so mm-hmm. it seems like when you're thinking about safety gun safety should be kind of higher up on the list it should and again what does gun safety mean does that mean more restrictions for that to be safe? Or does it mean... uh, I think if more people knew more about guns, they would be able to have a more intelligent conversation and there would be a lot more um, discussion and dialogue that is um, constructive Mm -hmm. rather than just the talking points that people hear on, you know, little news stories or whatever. Right, and I think that's what gets me upset with 
any of the topics that we cover, they're often they're most of them are what is it? Uh, just ripe with talking points instead of just instead of facts and and figures and and a more in depth understanding. It's just talking points. Well, I have a question that yeah. the answer may actually be a talking point, but in your research, did you find like was there a place that um, where restrictions and gun control has gone well for a country or a yeah people? Yeah, so I wasn't able to go too much down that rabbit hole because it's a lot of information and it's just me. Sure. If I had some nifty people out there who want to be producers of this show, you can. <laughs> You know, reach out to me at relinquishpodcast at gmail dot com, and I can have you research for me. So, um, so often in this debate, because I li- man, I listen to a lot of debates on YouTube of of personalities, and Australia is always brought up as in this in this debate, because back in I think nineteen ninety five or nineteen ninety six, there was a, a a mass shooting that occurred in Australia, and several people died, and as a result they enacted really strict gun restrictions Mm. and they offered a a government buyback program where they offered to buy citizens firearms from them to Mm. get them out of people's homes. Now, Mm. I don't agree with that, obviously, but a lot of gun control advocates point to that as being an effective thing because since then, and yes, maybe for a brief period of time, like for a couple years after that, you had some gun violence spike a little bit, but overall from the last, you know, 25 years of data from now, from now, since then, gun deaths have gone way down. But they went up afterwards? Yeah. Interesting. Just, slightly, just a little bit. Okay, so that's and a violent success. Crime went up. Violent crime went up a little bit afterwards, but now for the last 20 years, it's all, both have been going down. So that's kind of a success story. It is a success story. Is that, have you found in your research places that put gun restrictions that kind of went the other way? Yeah. So, and, I, and that's, and, and I think that's important in this conversation that it works both ways. More restrictions can have a, a desired effect. It depends on where you're doing it and it depends on who you're doing it to. So culturally, it really depends. Mm. No country, no two countries are the same, you know, because you have like Germany who has also has really, really strict gun laws and you have the UK, obviously, but I don't want to be the UK and I don't want to be Germany. They don't have good history of, you know, trusting its government, (laughs) you know what I mean? So I don't want to trust the government with, with those rights. Australia is kind of a, a lone, a lone one out there. A lone ranger. Yeah. So, so on the dude. opposite on the opposite side, mm-hmm. um, I come across Mexico, who's our neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, in case you didn't know, we're in America, and I found that one to be really eye opening. So back in the mid nineteenth century, they kind of took a page out of our constitution and had their own constitution, and in it they put a right to bear arms clause in there. So, because it also had a rich history of gun culture among its citizens. And so they wanted that in there as well. It's not ordered the same as ours, 
But over the next 100 years, they slowly, the government slowly started putting, started amending that right in the Constitution to restrict access to firearms to its citizens time and time and time again. And now in Mexico, there's only one place that a citizen can purchase a firearm. It's in Mexico City. And in order to do so, you have to go through a lot of red tape. You've got to fill out a lot of forms. You've got to spend a lot of money. You've got to get approved. And you can only get a certain kind of weapon. You can only get certain types of handguns that have certain types of calibers. In order to get a rifle of any sort, it has to be super approved and only for sporting. And you're only allowed one per person unless you have a, I don't know, exception. So how does that work for them? Well, as I started looking into that, I looked at what are the most violent cities in the world? And they're, um, they're always updating that, but uh, out, of, out of the 50 most violent cities in the world, four are in Mexico. Four out of the top, how many? So, oh, sorry, let me back that up. So out of the 50, out of the top five most violent cities in the world, Four are in Mexico. Okay. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. Four. And they have the number one spot. So four of the top five cities. Yeah. Out of that 50, though, was where where were those cities? And it, is that, that's not just guns. That's violence. It's violence. But it also includes um, gun-related deaths. Mm-hmm. So, um, so are the most violent cities correlated to places that have more restrictions in gun control or... Did you that I didn't get that far into it only with Mexico because the other violent cities are all in South America or Central America. Uh, I mean, there's others in Africa and so forth, but that that doesn't include war torn cities. So. And in in that 50, several of them are Mexico. And um, as we know, because we're right next to Mexico and we know people who live in Mexico and we know the things that go on down there, it is just plagued by corruption, government corruption. It's plagued by drug cartels, and the people are not able to defend themselves against perpetrators and against the government. Hmm. And so that is a, an example of gun control not working very well. And I think that's what... It's those fear. It's it's those examples of Mexico. It's the example of, um, you know, the Armenian genocide and and that kind of stuff, and um, that and and in Cambodia and those kinds of things when those things were happening, that have the gun rights people saying w- less restrictions because once you start putting restrictions, it becomes a slippery slope, and so and to their, I think to their argument they would say. Yes, gun deaths are bad, but let's stop looking at guns as the issue and let's start looking at what is causing people to do this. That's interesting that you say that because I was going to ask another question just at representing the average Joe or the average Joel. Mm. Um, Joe or Jane? Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, something else that I think of, like the first, my first thought is that culturally the average person that at least in my circle doesn't have a familiarity with guns. Mm -hmm. My second thought is that knowing how prevalent 
like you mentioned, the antidepressants and antipsychotic medications, knowing how prevalent those are in our country, I mean, the the numbers are staggering. Mm -hmm. Um, So just knowing that and knowing the side effects of those medications, it's terrifying for me to think that all of those people would have access, free access to guns, you know? Right. And I'm not necessarily saying that I'm for like a mental health restriction because that's such a big issue. And the whole mental health thing, I mean, we could do episodes on that. Yeah. Um, But that's the second, the first thing I think of is there's not a familiarity with firearms. The second thing I think of is, oh no, I don't want people on psychotropic medications to own firearms. Right. That scares me. Yeah. They can be ticking time bombs. I mean. And I guess, what did you find that the stats supported that, that a lot of these shooters are taking medications like that? Yeah. So that scares me. Yeah. I mean, look, when we look at mass shootings, for example, what's the common denominator? Obviously, if they're shooting a gun, guns are going to be a common denominator. So, sure. But it's really easy to get emotional because we're talking about lives at stake here, right? Yeah, lots of lots lives. Lots of lives. Kids dying, people being shot. So it's, it's not easy to kind of see past the emotional response that we want to have and look critically at the issue and really say, okay, well... Look, we've been looking at this for decades as a gun being the problem. I hear a lot of, after a mass shooting, I hear a lot of, we need more gun control. Mm. And maybe that's true. But I never hear anyone in, in the mainstream sort of circles talking about it, saying we need more drug control. And I don't mean illegal drugs. I mean legal drugs. Prescription drugs. Prescription drugs. Like, for example, America... We make up 5% of the world's population. We consume 50% of the world's pharmaceuticals. 50%. 50%. So maybe that's one thing that sets us apart from other countries with high gun ownership. Because there are other countries that have a lot of high gun ownerships along its citizens. And not as many gun-related deaths. Mm. And it's not because they have restrictions. So, okay... So what's different about us? It's not, you know, we're not, we're not just a bunch of people driving trucks with gun racks going, woohoo, I'm going to shoot my gun. (laughs) You know what I mean? So aside from gang violence, which is also an issue, I mean, the majority of daily shootings in this country are from gangs. That's an issue. But when we're talking about a 13, 14, 15 year old kid going into a school and shooting, shooting their peers, what is the common denominator with that? Right. And I'm seeing the common denominator be they're on some kind of psychotropic medication that has well-known, well-documented side effects that are psychosis, psychotic episodes, suicide, violent tendencies. I mean, we've got to put some two and two together here. And then when... The majority, it's not to cut you off, but the majority of our students and our kids are on either an antidepressant, an antipsychotic, some sort of, and in, in those, some sort of SSRI drug, but also stimulants. You know, a lot of our kids from babies on up to, you know, young adults are on Adderall Ritalin, which is just a legalized meth. Well, and really, so what this is pointing to is 
that's not even the root issue. The root issue is that kids are having mental health problems right. and maybe that's not the answer. I mean, did your research point to anything about, I mean, the suicide rate, that was staggering how mm -hmm. much it's gone up, especially in the younger age group, but with social media yeah, yeah. and screens and things like that. I was like going to say, I think there is a correlation between the rise of suicide that we see in the younger population and with the invention of social media and access to, to it. And the more, like nowadays, there are documentaries being produced and, and released talking about the effects, the negative effects of social media that it's having on kids in the population. And I think there is a correlation there. Now, now I'm not saying social media is bad and I'm not saying medication is bad. What I'm saying is, personally, I think we are an over-medicated, over-stimulated, over-mediated, as far as media is concerned, population. And when you put all those two together, all those together, you have a cocktail that is, I mean, eventually going to have an eruption. So it sounds like, really, the gun issue, once we start disentangling all these pieces, really the real issue is a mental health issue. Right. So, I think so. That's another topic, but being that we do have this mental health crisis in our country, if you could call it that, you know, do we want to give these people guns? Right. Technically, we have measures in place to prevent people with certain mental health conditions to be able to purchase firearms. In those background checks, there's, they do that. Sure. But well, it's not fair for anyone to say, okay, you're taking an SSRI, you have anxiety or you have, you know, depression. Therefore, you can't own a gun. That's not right. fair either. I don't think that's fair. Uh, I don't there, think that's right. That's a slippery slope. Right. So th there's not easy answers. There's not. Not at all. If we're going to honestly talk about this topic and talk, try to talk about a solution, because look, I'm all for rights. I'm all for the gun rights. I agree with a lot of what they have to say. And unfortunately, both sides don't represent each other very well. They don't right. represent themselves very well in the public. Well, and the problem is that they're relying on the government to be the solution. Mm. Yeah, you can't rely on the government to be your savior because it's not. How many police officers do we have per citizen in a given city? Like the ratio is very small. And granted, crime kind of relates to that, the crime level. But if a crime's going on at my house, you know, I'm going to call the police. If, if I see a crime going on, I'm going to call the police. Why? Because they have a firearm that are going to, and they have the authority to help stop that perpetrator. Mm. But they're not always going to be there. They're not always going to be there in the middle of the night. And they're definitely not always going to be there when it's a government trying to do it. So we can't put all of our faith and reliance upon the government being local, state, federal, to be the ones to protect us. Because we see that happening in Mexico and it doesn't work. The same is true in 
putting all of our faith and trust in the government to provide for us and protect us in a crisis. Hurricane Katrina, Sandy, and most recently Maria in Puerto Rico provided ample opportunity for violent people to uh, carry out violent acts on the helpless. I mean, how many days did it take FEMA to get water to the Superdome in New Orleans? Mm. And another reason why we can't put too much faith in the government looking out for our our best interest is because a lot of our legislators are heavily influenced by lobbyists. So one of the things I came across in the research was um, about the NRA. And yeah, they look, they're not perfect. And I, I'm not a member. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they, I think in the last five years, the most they spent on lobbying was $5 million in a given year. Usually it's around $2 million. I read a lot about how they're bullies and that they bully people, legislators, into preventing, you know, gun control measures from getting, you know, uh, approved. But I also read that they're like the most powerful lobbying organization out there and they're the most powerful force against legislators. And so I was like, wait a minute, is that true? So I looked and along what we were just talking about, the pharmaceutical industry spends an average of $250 billion per year. $250 billion? Yeah. And there's more lobbyists than there are legislators, by far. Wow. Yeah. And the things that they do is highly unethical. And that's a whole other topic. We're going to get into that on our, yeah, I would think in that. our medical series when we go into that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. But just to kind of put that in perspective. Right. Well... I've learned a lot, and I think that from my perspective, the bigger issues here are more awareness and education around firearms and more awareness and discussion about mental health in our country. And I think if we focus on those two things, we could get somewhere. I agree. All right. I think that about covers it. As much as we can. Yeah, to scratch the surface. To scratch the surface, yeah. We could really talk about this a lot. There are a lot of areas in this discussion we didn't even get to, such as whether or not a certain type of firearm should be banned. For example, the majority of gun deaths are due to handguns, not AR-15s. Why do citizens need military-type firearms like the AR-15? And what is an assault rifle? Is there a legal definition? And what's the difference between fully automatic and semi-automatic, and why is that important? And do the U.S. cities with the highest gun homicide rate, such as Baltimore and St. Louis, Chicago, Birmingham, Memphis, New Orleans, do they have strict gun control measures already in place? Just to name a few. So bottom line, it's a very complex issue. No easy solutions. Uh, but it's something we should be talking about because a lot of people are losing their lives. Absolutely. S something needs to happen. If both sides of this debate were to listen to this show and um, really get to understand each other, they could probably come up with some compromisable. Is that a word? Compromisable? Sure, you just I said just it. made it up. Compromisable solutions. I can just hear the lexicon files out there saying, it's a word. Well, I hope it is. So we need solutions that truly do help reduce gun violence while retaining our rights. Okay, well, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. 
And remember, we encourage you to take this show outside of this realm and use it to help start conversations, not stop them. So I hope you continue to join us for future episodes. Uh, just a little news flash: we'll, we will be releasing a new side series on addiction um, and recovery very, very soon. So uh, stay tuned for that. Again, my goal is to release one recovery-related episode in between these controversial topic episodes. And um, these episodes are a lot for me to produce, so I appreciate your patience. I'm, I was my, my goal is to get one of these out maybe once a month, uh, but I think more realistically, because I'm a dad and a husband and other things that once every six weeks... Or every other month. Or, oh, I'm, I'm going to shoot for the... <laughs> No pun intended. Um, and again, if there's any um, uh, potential producers out there who want to join me in my quest of, of research, please reach out to me. So just a friendly reminder, um, and I, I hate doing this, but it's needed. We could always use your support. Uh, you can do that financially through our website, www.relinquishpodcast.com, through the um, Become a Partner page. That's where you can donate to us. Uh, just a dollar can go a long way. Another way you can support the show is by spreading the show and sharing it with others. Um, I mean, we got to get the word out because no one's really listening to this show yet, except Denmark. That's true. Yeah. We believe we are all created equal, yet unique in the image of God. Special shout out to our amazing folks at the Neighborhood Sprouts Farmer's Market. Y'all are the best. Also to my, the men in my men's group, past and present. You know who you are. Lastly, Chris Pratt, I'm talking to you. Hopefully, you can be a guest on this show someday. You're my boy. This show is produced by Into the Sun Productions. All music is written and recorded by me, Travis. With that, we will say farewell, and we hope you join us next time as we respectfully agree to disagree. Disagree.